I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit nervous this morning because yesterday, uh, me and Han went out with some friends and we, uh, I'm just going to set my timer so I don't go over. Um, I'm a little bit nervous because I planned this by about Wednesday and you knew what I was going to say and I'd gone through it and I was absolutely fine. Went to see some friends from a church yesterday, from our old church, just caught up with them and I got home and I was absolutely shattered. And uh, we just sat down, didn't we, Hannah? We just had a little talk and then Hannah said, I'm just off to bed, it's about 10 o'clock. She said, I'm off to bed. And uh, I was like, all right, I'll just be there, I'll just make a drink. And then God just kind of said to me, nope, get your preach notes out and change it. So I've changed it a little bit. So I'm a little bit nervous, but you'll just have to bear with me. I think I'm all right. I was going through it this morning, but um, yeah, God just put something on my heart to change. So I've just slightly tweaked it. So bear with me this morning. Before we we start, um, it's just really important that we just pray. Um, So Father God, Lord, we just thank you this morning for the privilege of coming able to share your word, Lord God. Lord, we thank you that your word is truth. Father God, that your word points to you and glorifies you, which is the most important thing, Father. Lord, we love you. Father God, we pray for little Alfie as well, Lord God, just on my heart there. Lord, you can see him and Ben and Joe. Lord, we pray our blessing over Ben and Joe that they would have sleep, they would be uh, rested together, Lord God, and they just as a family, just, uh, yeah, just experience you in the middle of the, the chaos of a newborn baby, Lord God. And we pray for that precious little baby, Father God, that your hand would be upon them, Lord God, that he would know your voice even now, Father God, that he would grow to be a great man of God for you, Father God, for your glory, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So... For those who don't know, we've been looking at the book of Acts. Uh, And so just a quick recap of the book of Acts. Acts um, details Jesus's ascension into heaven. And then the subsequent spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to the rest of the world. And we see the church explode at this point. It just grows and the gospel is here, there and everywhere. And we've been studying this for a while now. And so today, we're coming to Acts 9. So Acts 9, verse 1 to 19. So we're going to read it first. I don't normally do this, but we're just going to read it all together. And then we're going to have a little look at some bits and bobs. So Acts 9, verse 1 to 19. I'm actually going to put my glasses on. I can't believe I'm saying that. Acts 9, 1 to 19. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were travelling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord, said, the Lord sorry, said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas, 
Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptised and taking food, he was strengthened. I'm going to let you into a little secret. Take these off. I'm going to let you into a little secret. Prepare yourselves to be shocked. Or maybe not. Most of you probably won't be, to be fair. I'm not a very cultured person. I know. <laughs> thought that might be the reaction. I'm not a very cultured person. This was best demonstrated in a lesson I was doing. I'm a teacher, part-time teacher, part-time work for the church. And I was doing a lesson in front of my big, big, big boss. And uh, I was doing this lesson and everything was going really, really well, really well. One of those where you just go, yeah, I've got this, I've got it. And uh, the input went really well, the kids were really well, just sat listening on the carpet and I was just about to send them off on the task and I just knew it was one of those days. And uh, I asked a question and I was, it was kind of a, a loaded question because the answer that they would give me would just, just give perfect. And one of the little girls put a hand up and said, Mr. Laurie. I was thinking, yes, come on, God, come on. She said, why do you dress like that? <laughs> I thought, being heckled by a six-year-old is not fun at all. But I'm not a cultured person, but you can tell by the way I dress. A um, bit of a background story to me. I was raised by a single parent on benefits, so we didn't have lo lots of money. While all my friends were off going to holidays abroad, me and my brother would play on a building site at the back of our house, or we would play at the park, or if we could afford it, we'd go swimming. So I didn't get lots of those opportunities to go to art galleries, to theatres, to museums. I didn't go on a plane till I was 20. I didn't go uh, into a theatre until I was 19. So my uh, cultural experiences were somewhat slim. And then God sent me Han, who's a little bit opposite than me, so she's kind of done all that stuff. And it's kind of God's humour, I suppose, in some ways. And so when we got together, we decided, Han decided she was going to cultural, culturalise me, I don't even know if that's a word, but she's going to kind of make me more cultured anyway, she's going to turn me into a culture vulture. So we made an agreement. After we got married, whenever we'd go on holiday, we'd make an arrangement. I got to go to a football stadium, which is my thing, or a football match, whichever one was nearest. And Han then would take me to an art gallery or a theatre or something. And I can remember on our honeymoon, we went to a, an art gallery in Italy and it was a contemporary art. I'm not 100% sure what that means to be honest, but contemporary art. And I can remember we walked in and there was hordes of spectators around this something. So I kind of waited and they were all kind of nodding their heads and agreeing with each other and taking photos. And I can remember walking to it and when the crowd had bustled away and I was looking and I was stood before a pillar with a piece of glass on. And I stood looking at it for a while thinking, 
I'm not seeing this. I've got these in my house. People pay to see this. So he's lost on me, to be honest, a little bit lost on me. Went to the next exhibition, and there was a wooden beam, again, on like a pillar. And it had four cigarette butts, all different sizes that had been smoked. And I can remember looking at it thinking, what? And to be honest, there was a big crowd there, so I just kind of joined in. I thought, well, let's see what happens. So I was kind of stood there stroking my beard, going, yeah, yeah, yeah. No idea what was going on at all. Um, so, yeah, it's just contemporary art was just lost on me. And then later on, a couple of years later, we went to Holland and we went to the Van Gogh, Van Gogh? Van Gogh, thanks. Van Gogh Museum. And I can remember, we'd been to see the Ajax Football Stadium, which is incredible. Um, and then... Uh, <laughs> you were like, it's a big piece of concrete, what? <laughs> um, and then, yeah, we went to this Van Gogh Museum and uh, I can remember going in, rolling my eyes, to be honest, going, oh, not again, here we go. Just grit your teeth and smile. Um, and I went in and I can remember there was a piece at the entrance and I can remember, as I slowly walked towards this piece, it took my breath away. Just the way I looked at it, it was absolutely incredible. And as I got closer and closer and closer, I could just see it in its full perspective, just the little globs that he painted, or just how he blended the colours together. I can't remember what the picture was. It was a night with some stars or something. I can't remember. It wasn't that great. Starry night, maybe that's the one, then, yeah. <laughs> of course. Um, if you can tell. It's not worked well so far, has it? Um, but it just mesmerised me. Now, I was stood there for probably four or five minutes just looking, and I really appreciated it. Now, I'd love to say that that was a watershed moment in my art appreciation. It wasn't. It was just a good picture, to be honest. Um, but what it did do is it changed my attitude and my perspective and appreciation of art has definitely changed. Um, and, and that's what we're looking at today, a piece of art this beautiful picture of salvation that Jesus has painted today. And we're going to look at that and, and unpick it a little bit later. We see here in the conversion of Saul, which is a well-known piece of scripture, this beautiful painting of how God has transformed a life and turned it around. And what we're going to do today, in as much time as I can, in 30 more minutes, we're going to analyse it. We're going to look at this picture that Jesus has painted and explore some of the details behind it, just so we can appreciate what is going on here. Now, before we start analysing this and really picking it apart, it's important that we take a moment to stop and appreciate something that's happened here. A little tiny detail, almost a little stroke of a paintbrush that we forget sometimes. The canvas that this has been painted on. This phenomenal story, this beautiful story of conversion, is painted on a canvas of faithfulness, on a background of prayer. Often overlooked in Saul's conversion is something that was said two chapters before. So what I want you to do is just grab your Bibles again. We're going to look at Acts 7, verses 54 onwards. A little bit of background that happens before this conversion that is often overlooked here. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, enraged sorry, and they ground their teeth at him. This is Stephen. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. It's important that. 
And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I want you to imagine yourself in Stephen's shoes there. Imagine being surrounded by a group of people who want to kill you, who've created false stories to imprison you. Then they've taken you out of the city, thrown you to the ground and pick up rocks. And we're not talking about little pebbles here. These are rocks designed to kill you. What would your reaction be? Spurgeon famously said that the trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and let us see what we are made of. And here, in this snapshot, we see Stephen was really made of. His last cry before his death was not, how dare you? His last cry before he died was not, you're wrong. It was simply, Lord, Lord, don't hold this against them. God, forgive them. God, forgive them all. As he is dying, he is praying for those around him. Wow, goosebumps saying that. And one of these men was Saul. Matthew 5, 4 reminds us, pray for those who persecute you. <laughs> wow, if that's not a, a good example of that, what is? You see, the canvas for Saul's conversion here, the painting that this is done on, is a background of prayer. And we can't overlook this, the importance of prayer. Stephen prayed for these men who were guilty of murder. And what's interesting, again, as we look at this, is he didn't pray for it to stop. He just simply prayed, Lord God, forgive them, forgive them. That challenged me there. Don't ever think that prayer is unimportant. Don't ever dismiss the value of praying for somebody or a situation. No matter how bleak, no matter what the odds are, prayer is vital. The Bible, time and time again, reminds us of this. Philippians 4, 6, very well known. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, be thanksgiving and present your requests to God. 1 Timothy reminds us, pray for our leaders, for other people. Prayer is important. Our challenge there, when we face hardships, what do our lives show? When the soil of our heart is turned up, what do our lives show? When things are good, <laughs> It's often harder sometimes to pray, isn't it, when things are good? Because kind of life just tickles along, really. When we face goodness, what do our lives show? Prayer. How do we respond to these situations? You see, we might not see the impact of our prayers. Like Stephen, he would never see the impact that this prayer had. But either way, it's important that we don't give up on prayer. Amen? Prayer is one of those amazing things that happens often behind the scenes. Faithful people praying night and day. Did you know that people walk these walls on a weekly basis to pray for our city? To pray for Chester? As a church, we meet a for, uh, every fortnight sorry, to pray for our city, for the nations. Some of the greatest movements of God and some of the greatest revivals have started with a couple of people on the knees praying. It'd be really interesting one day, hopefully, when we get to heaven, to see 
when we have a bigger perspective and just see the impact of prayer. <laughs> kind of one of those light bulb moments where we go, oh yeah. You see, this is the canvas for our scripture today. Prayer is the background on which Jesus has painted the masterpiece of Saul's conversion. It's based on prayer, a short prayer, but prayer is effective. So there's an application then for us. Are we praying? Are we making time to pray? Do we value prayer? Is it one of those things that we make time for in our day? Or do we just do it as we're falling asleep and wake up halfway through and realise we've forgotten the rest? Are we praying with our children? With our wives, with our husbands, with our partners, with our friends? How do we treat prayer? It's vital. It's an important part of our lives. Prayer. Now, it would be so easy for me to stand here and just repeat and harp on about this, but actually it's really good and encouraging if we hear testimonies of prayer and how God has answered prayers. So I've asked Les, and Les is just going to come and just share for two or three minutes just how he's seen prayer in his life and in his family's life. Over to you, Les. First of all, I'd like to say that uh, when it comes to prayer... um, there's lots of lots of times I've uh, not got it right, and uh, I could have been a lot more faithful in prayer. So let's get that cleared up from the start. But um, Andy asked me to share, and yesterday or the day before, and I just thought, what does God want me to say? So I just thought there's two things really. With I've got three children, and as you know, they're in the church, and. Uh, Two things I think that stand out for me in prayer was this. <clears throat> First thing was always prayed for their salvation. I always felt that was the most important thing to pray for was their salvation. Uh, secondly, I prayed for wisdom in how to bring them up and how to handle them. Um, I'm very grateful and thankful to God that the first prayer has been answered. and All three have come to know Jesus. And... Uh, the second prayer, wisdom how to handle them, is ongoing. <laughs> because um, two of them have now left home, but we still need wisdom how to handle them. And uh, probably always will do. <laughs> so um, that's uh, it's simple. Um, uh, no magic formulas. It's just continually praying and being faithful and asking God to do what only he can do. Um, and uh, as I was thinking about this yesterday, some, I felt God dropped something in, which I think is, would be an encouragement to us all. I know that for a fact, I'm sure, there are people here who have got children who are not walking with God. And um, I'm very grateful to God, and it's the grace of God uh, who, who's moved in my children's lives. But, you know, what I would say is this, and encourage you, keep on praying. And surround yourself with friends and people around you who will pray with you. Community groups, uh, that, that's what happened to us. We had a friend who stuck by us and prayed with us when the, time got, the, the uh, going got tough. I would say that. Surround yourself with friends, community group, or even outside the community group from within the church, or from Christian friends who will stand with you and pray with you and keep praying. Just keep praying. I feel that's what God says. 
Cheers. Thanks, Les. So are we praying? And, and we're not standing here. I'm not standing here bashing you over the head. But if it's not, if, you, if your prayer life isn't what it should be or what you, you feel it should be, now's the time to, to sort it. As we spend time praying, as we spend time praying for people, as we spend time praying into situations, we hear God. We get wisdom, as Les was saying, from God. You see, prayer works. Don't ever let the enemy trick you into thinking a prayer is insignificant. It's kind of one of the things that we have on ourselves, isn't it, sometimes? What can I do? What's this going to do? Prayer changes things. Amen? It changes things. It just does something. It, it, it changes the waters. It, it stirs the waters. I've got a brother who I love very, very dearly, and he's not walked with God for a number of years now. And that hasn't stopped me from praying. It would be very easy for me to sit there and say, what is my prayer going to do here? How is my prayer going to change this situation? But I'm not going to. I'm not going to let a lie from the enemy about my insignificance, what I'm going to do, change the fact I'm going to pray for my brother. And I'm going to pray every day until he comes to know Jesus or I die, whichever comes first. <laughs> Don't ever give up. Don't tire take every opportunity when I'm at the prayer meetings I'll throw his name in all the time just get praying for him everyone evangelism training let's pray for him pray and pray if you're facing a situation pray into it if you're meeting with somebody you want to see come to know Jesus pray don't give up praying we'll see the impact of Stephen's prayer as we look a little bit further the second section of this beautiful picture we've got Stephen's prayer which is the canvas focuses on Saul. So what we're going to do is we're just going to read Acts 9, 1 to 2. Just recap. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Sounds like a lovely guy. <laughs> it's important that we just provide some background there. It's really key. It helps us to understand Saul at this moment better. Saul was schooled in the schools of Tarsus. Mouthful that. It was here that he learned poetry and philosophy of the Greeks. From there, he went to university at Jerusalem to study Jewish law. And it was here that he was tutored by the well-known Pharisee Gamaliel. He was well-educated and passionate about the Old Testament. We see evidence of this when we look at even just his name, his Hebrew name, Saul, translates as desired, to strongly wish for or want something. You see, Paul knew the scriptures. He knew the text. <laughs> He'd spent many years studying them and being tutored in them, but his heart was hard. He had the head knowledge, but he was spiritually blind. He references this in Romans 7, 9, where he says he was spiritually blind, just like the Pharisees were. We see evidence of this blindness in his approving of Stephen's death and then the subsequent persecution against the Christians that happens. He hated them. <laughs> he hated Christians. He ravaged the church, it tells us in Acts 8. Not happy with ravaging the church in Jerusalem, he went to the synagogue where the elders were and asked them if he could then have their permission to travel 60 hours. That's 60 hours if he walked all the time. So we're talking at least a week, a week to travel just to go and persecute a group of people. This is hatred. 
And we see why he was going to Damascus. A large proportion of Christians fled from Jerusalem during Saul's ravaging of the church to neighbouring Damascus for safety. And it's here, when we look at this picture close up, we see our Lord's masterstroke. Verse 3 and 4. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Key verse here, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. Saul, who hated Christ and Christians, who was a murderer, was so blind spiritually blind that he couldn't see he was breaking the commandments that he was trying to keep do not murder one of the ten commandments and yet he's going around ravaging the church but again the beauty of this verse is in the detail as he approached Damascus you see this is significant Damascus was a place of Gentiles non-Jews who didn't believe in God Pharisees weren't too keen on Gentiles. They despised them. Particularly, there was a a historic relationship between Damascus and Jerusalem. Amos 1.3 tells us that these people would attack God's people. Yet here is Paul, close as a Pharisee, a religious Pharisee, approaching a Gentile place, meeting Jesus. Beautiful words here. Paul met, encountered, and was converted in a Gentile place, despite the fact he didn't like Gentiles. And his calling, we are told later, was that he was called to preach to the Gentiles. Just think these little masterstrokes that Jesus paints, just phenomenal when you start to dig and look. The very people that he was going to persecute, the very place where these people were, where the Christians were, And he's converted, and not only is he converted, he's then been told later that you will then go and preach to these people and bring these people to Jesus. Wow. Verse 4 tells us that he saw a light on his way to Damascus and fell to the ground. Another masterstroke by Jesus as he's painting this picture. You can imagine Paul riding into Damascus with his piece of paper to go and get these Christians. High and mighty, pompous. I had to check that word full of self-worth and pride and he's thrown to the ground he's humbled this is the first part of Saul's conversion he rides in high and mighty but when he encounters Jesus he's on the floor and we see something really important what Jesus says to him Saul, Saul why are you persecuting me? again The detail here is important. We see Jesus use this technique before when he was speaking to Martha in Luke 10. Martha, Martha. With Simon, Simon, Simon. This technique is used and it's agreed that to awaken people. Here, we're seeing Paul in his sleepy state, uh, sorry, Saul, in his sleepy state. Jesus is awakening him. Saul, Saul. Saul thought he was working for God, but in fact, he was so asleep to the true gospel, he was blind. Jesus is waking him. And we see his response. Who are you, Lord? 
of that. Who are you? Lord. We're slowly seeing already his heart changing. The man who he once hated, Jesus Christ, he's now calling Lord. <laughs> Imagine the scene. Paul, this raging animal. The word ravage really kind of paints a picture of his hatred to the church. Paul, this raging animal who passionately killed Christians, was now laying on the floor. I wonder what it would look like to his companions. <laughs> All right, Paul. So, here they could hear the conversation, yet not see who he was talking to. It was absolutely amazing. This once proud man is now blind. Verses five to nine. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were travelling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate or drank. His spiritual eyes are opened as he encounters Jesus, but his physical eyes are closed. Again, this once proud man is being led into the city like a child by his companions. Jesus has well and truly humbled him. So the question there is, so what? <laughs> Why is this important? Well, firstly, again, I'm going to keep harping on about this. We see the fruit here of Stephen's faithful prayer. So we are to be encouraged. Secondly, when we look at this picture from God, our saviour that he's painted, we see God's love and mercy enacted. Paul wrote later in Timothy 1.13 that though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had enacted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The same is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I love this picture. Saul wasn't saved in a church. He was saved on his way to commit atrocities. God didn't show his love and mercy to Saul when he was well with God, but at the farthest point. And again, we can take great encouragement from this, that God meets people. God meets us. No matter how far we are or how far people seem, God meets people. So firstly, don't tire of praying for people, no matter how far they might seem. Just take a moment to just think of those people in your mind who you've been praying for faithfully. Maybe you haven't been praying, now's the time to start. Don't tire of praying for them. God can move in their life at the most unexpected times. Another great encouragement is that no matter how far we feel, whether we are close to God or not, whether we feel the dirtiest sinner or not, God still cares and wants to show his mercy. He's a good God. <laughs> we are never too far from God to hear his voice. This morning, as I was just rereading it, I was reminded of the well-known verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his son 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever <laughs> believes in him. He's a good God. I'm just going to take a moment now. We're just going to close our eyes. I'm not going to ask anybody to pray out loud if you feel comfortable. Just think of somebody on your heart to pray for. If you don't know Jesus, I would really, really encourage you to call out to him. Just in your, just, just here, Lord God, show yourself to me. I'm wrestling with you. I don't know if you're true. Show yourself to me. I'm just going to have a moment just to just reflect. Paul has been humbled and he doesn't eat as he prays he just encounters Jesus I want to share a really really encouraging testimony for you just from something that happened to me a few years ago just really really quickly testimonies are really encouraging and really good for us I had a really good friend called Dan who's a very very good friend of mine and I've been praying for him for a long long time and at the time uh, I was going to a really, really good youth group, a really, really good youth group at the time. And I'd ask him every week on a Friday morning, Dan, do you want to come? Every time, no, no, I'm not interested. And actually, he used to take the mick sometimes in front of, with my other friends. Um, and I got to the point where I was just tired and weary of asking him, because I knew it would have repercussions. <laughs> every time I'd ask him, there'd be a backhand dig or something. So I stopped for a little while, and God really challenged me on this. And he said... Andy, just ask him again. Just ask him again. So I thought, right, here we go. Get ready for another attack. And I just said, Dan, Dan, do you fancy coming with me? And I almost had to sit down. And he went, yeah, yeah, I'll come this week. I was like, what? Okay. He said, I'll come, but I don't want any of this God stuff. Don't want any of this God stuff. But okay, well, it's a start. He's getting there. <laughs> so I brought him. My mum took us and dropped us off. And uh, he was in a school at the time that we were meeting in Scholar Green. And um, I can remember we did some games, then we had a little talk. And at the end, there was a call for anybody who didn't know God. And uh, the guy who was doing it, Dan, he said, um, if you don't know God, just stand. And I'd love to just you to pray a prayer with me. And I was just sat there thinking, oh, just don't say anything, mate. Just, just don't, because he was the type of person who would probably gob off or something. So just, just don't say anything, please. And I just felt a brush against me. And I opened my eye, and he was stood. I was just amazing. And he stood, and he gave his life to Jesus. And I said to him after, Dan, what happened? And he said, I was sweating, I was shaking. I just knew I had to stand. And I'd prayed and prayed and prayed for him. And he's just stood there. And honestly, it took my breath away. My friend, who's a dear friend still, and he just stood and gave his life to Jesus. And I didn't do anything there. I failed, if anything, because I stopped asking him. And yet God was on his case. No one is too far from God. So don't tire of praying for them. Don't tire of meeting them with Jesus, of praying for them, of sharing Jesus with them. God is good. And I bet if any of us was to share a testimony, we've all probably got some sort of story, whether it's ourselves or somebody else. We're a room of walking miracles. Let's share these guys. Let's share them with people, with our friends. Thank you, bumps again. Ooh, God is good, isn't he? He's good. He's a good God. So first of all, in this picture, we've got the canvas, Stephen's prayer. 
Be a praying people, guys. Be a praying church. Secondly, God meeting Saul, the once murderer, now encountering Jesus. Finally, the beautiful part of this picture, the final strokes we see are in verse 10. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And I love this phrase. I love it. The man who God has chosen to minister to Saul isn't a man of stature or title. We don't know much about him. He was simply a disciple. Love it. A man of no position, God has chosen here for a great task. And that's an encouragement to us, isn't it? We can be encouraged that God uses obscure people. We see it time and time again. People without status to do his work. Dare I say it, people like you and me. God then tells him his plan in 10 to 12. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. Paul, sorry, Saul, keep calling him Paul. Saul is praying. The man who once prayed upon Christians is now praying to God. Spurgeon wrote again, prayer is the autograph of the Holy Ghost upon the renewed heart. And we're seeing here, as God is speaking to Anais, that God is working in Saul's life. And again, one of the things I love about the Bible is how we see what people are like. They're real in here. I love it. If I was to write this book, I wouldn't write some of the bits that are in there. For example, I wouldn't write Ananias' response. I'm just going to read it to you. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon his name. God is speaking to him in a vision. Imagine the scene. And God's saying, right, I want you to do this. And he's going, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. Whoa, hang on. That's real. I like that. We can be encouraged by that. He's saying, this man is a killer. His reputation precedes him and you want me to speak to him. What can I do? What about me? I can't do anything. Sounds familiar to some of us. <laughs> Sometimes we let the circumstances or how we see ourselves dictate whether we follow God's calling. We need to be careful of this. I can't go there. They'll laugh at me. I can't tell them about Jesus. They might say something. I can't do that. What if? What can I do? But God, in his wonderful knowledge and mercy, is using this obscure man, this disciple, simply a disciple, brilliant. The least beautiful colour, without a status or a title, the least beautiful brush to paint a phenomenal picture. And we see that he wrestles with this. But then he agrees and is faithful to God's call. And he plays a hugely important role, not just in Saul's conversion, but also in the gospel being sent out to the rest of the world. <laughs> There's a really famous quote that says, behind many well-known servants of God are lesser-known believers who've influenced them. And we're seeing this enacted now, aren't we? 
The importance here is not Ananias' fame, but it's his faithfulness to God's calling. We're not interested in fame. It's about his glory. God just requires us to be faithful and step out. We shouldn't be afraid to obey God's calling. Sometimes we can sleepwalk through life. We can let the fear of what might happen, the fear of what could happen, or our own insecurities stop us from doing what God has called us to do. Don't sleepwalk your life. Don't sleepwalk. Don't wake up on your final day and regret not taking those opportunities that God has presented to you. Don't waste your life. Even if it seems scary, as Ananias, he had no idea what the outcome would be here. He didn't know what would happen when he would visit Saul, but he was faithful. And we can see this picture that God is painting. Don't waste your life. Don't sleepwalk your life. Be encouraged from what we see. Let's be bold. Acts talks about this boldness. Are we being bold? Are we taking the opportunities? It might seem scary. Yeah, I'm saying that and I'm stood at the front. It might be scary. But God is faithful. And we need to trust God and be faithful to what he calls us to do. Verses 17 and 18, we see Ananias obey God. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. What a simple prayer. <laughs> we sometimes overcomplicate things, don't we? It wasn't, he didn't have a degree in theology there. He wasn't praying into all the different fizzes and lulls and whatever. He was just praying a really simple prayer that God had called him to do. When we share Jesus with people, let's not overcomplicate things sometimes. Don't worry. Just trust in God. Be prepared. Paint a canvas of prayer. And go and do don't overcomplicate things. That was such a simple prayer that he prayed with him. And we see the impact of this. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptised and taking food, he was strengthened. Paul, Saul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. His spiritual eyes were opened alongside his physical eyes and he's baptised. His old self is dead as he became a new person in Christ. He then took bread from the bread of life. Jesus, food for him. Praying, wrestling with God. And then we're told he then eats after he's had his fill of Jesus. And he's restored. Wow, God is good. And what's really interesting is when his name's changed... There's a little U-turn there. Saul, who becomes Paul, name, becomes humbled or little. A real change, a magnificent change of a picture that God has painted. There's real encouragement there, isn't there? God is good. 
So what we're going to do now is we're going to, I'm talking about prayer, we're going to have a go at doing some prayer ourselves. So if you could stand if you're able to, if, you, if, you, if you're willing to, if you can, if you'd just like to stand, just as we close. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, merciful God, we thank you, Lord, for the pictures that you paint daily around us, the miracles of salvation, people being set free, the way that you support us in our darkest times, the way that you call people who don't know you to turn their lives around for you. Father, we give you the glory in this, that your name is glorified, that it's about what you have done, not about us, Father. Lord God, I just pray, I'm just reminded of Stephen's prayer, Father, that we would be a people who pray that we would pray for our city, for our neighbours, for our friends, for our family, for our children, for our spouses, Lord God. That we would be known as a praying church here. That there would be a unity within the churches in our city to pray and pray and never cease praying, Father God. Lord God, no prayer is wasted. No prayer is insignificant. And we bring those people that we were thinking about before you who might not know you yet or who are struggling or who are having a difficult time and we bring them before you as a collective body and we trust you, Lord God, that you can see the bigger picture here. Father, we thank you as we see with Saul that there is mercy in abundance that overflows and we repent of the times, Father God, where we haven't been a praying people. That, Lord God, we don't sit under condemnation but we are free and that you'd help us to be disciplined in our lives as we pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just move our gaze now to the next part of the picture for Saul, for the prodigal. <laughs> Father, we thank you for the work you've done in our lives already. How you've lifted the scales off our eyes as we realise who you are, how good you are, Lord, we thank you for that. Father, we just pray now for those people, Lord God, who don't know you in our city, that we would hear of stories of people coming through our door with miraculous conversions, those Saul Damascus moments, Father God. Lord God, that your mercy is available to anybody it's not an elite club. All of us here have problems. All of us here have issues. Life isn't all running through daisy meadows. It's difficult. It's a bog at times. But you are there because you are our strength. You are our support. And if anybody here who doesn't know Jesus, I would encourage you. I would plead with you because this is serious stuff. Call upon his name. His alone is the name that will save. His alone is the name who paid the price for you. It doesn't matter how dirty you feel. God loves you. He died for you, that you will be set free. And I believe this. We believe this as a church. And Father God, finally, we just pray for the no ones, <laughs> for people who have insignificant Issues, Lord God, where we just feel insignificant. And I'm going to be dead honest, I feel that at times. Most of us will here, if not all of us, if we're really honest at times. Lord God, you have called us. 
that you have made us for a purpose, Father God. And our purpose isn't insignificant. We are just called to be faithful. And Lord God, we are sorry for the times when we have thought we are a nobody. But Lord God, we take great encouragement that your word is full of nobodies doing amazing things through your name. Thank you, Father God. You are such a good God. Thank you, Jesus. Your mercy, your love flows like a river in abundance upon us. For your name and for your glory. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. You can sit down. You can sit down if you want. I'd just stop there and just say, if there's anything there that you want prayer for, it's, you know, we're going to pray. <laughs> we're a people who pray. If you are struggling with your prayer life or you don't know how to pray, come and speak. I'd love to pray with you. <laughs> I'd love to pray with you. We've got people here who would love to pray with you. If you haven't prayed in a long time, I'd love to pray with you. If you feel like you don't know who God is, maybe you're a bit like Saul, your life has just been the opposite of what God wants for you. Come and speak. I'd love to pray with you and show you what Jesus is. And if you're a nobody, you think you're a nobody. You're not. You're not a nobody. That's a lie. I'd love to pray with you as well because God has plans for all of us and God uses all of us even in little things. God loves us. He's such a good God and I would love to pray with you because that's a lie from the devil that's been spoken over us. We are a collective body. We are a family who worship a glorious God, a powerful God. We are not nobodies. We are children of the King. Amen.